0: A 2019 survey reported that only a third of Catholics accept the Church's teaching that Jesus is truly and substantially present under the appearances of bread and wine in the Eucharist. As Bishop Robert Barron uh, explained to his brother bishops, this is a spiritual disaster. The Eucharist is the core of our faith, and yet most Catholics reject it. This inspired Bishop Barron to call upon our nation's other bishops to act, and the result is this National Eucharistic Revival in the United States, a three-year-long effort to deepen our understanding of and devotion to the real presence of Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist. This isn't anything new. I hope you've heard something about it, because it began actually last year in June of 2022, and it began with the first year being devoted to diocesan revival. In our diocese, there was a Eucharistic Congress at the University of Mary, and Bishop Kagan went to each of the deaneries and visited for a holy hour to mark this diocesan year of the revival. The second year of this revival Is the parish year, and that's the year we're currently in. Parishes are encouraged to redouble their efforts at teaching and practicing Eucharistic worship and devotion. And then finally, the third year is a national year. In that year will be held the first national Eucharistic Congress in 50 years. Approximately 80,000 Catholics. Huge crowd. 80,000 Catholics are expected to converge in Indianapolis from July 17th through the 21st of next year, 2024, to worship the Lord and then, having encountered Him, to go out and spread the good news of Jesus' real presence across our nation. If that interests you, going to the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. See uh, the poster on the bulletin board out there because our diocese is taking busloads of people to that place. Uh, So, yeah, sign up, go if you can. But as I said, right now we're in the parish year of the revival. And at our fall clergy conference, Bishop Kagan discussed his newest pastoral letter entitled, It is the Lord. Bishop asked us to preach about this letter to aid in our Eucharistic revival at the parish level. So, all that is by way of introduction. To that end, I'm going to be spending today and in the last few Sundays before the start of Advent to teach based upon our bishop's letter. I encourage you to read it, the letter. We do have some copies on the table out there and you can find it on the diocesan website. And you know, if we run out of copies and you can't get on the website, I can print one for you if you'd like. And it's short. It's only like 12 pages long and it's worth a read. But today, I'm going to begin now with a lesson on the sacraments in general, which is the first part of our bishop's letter. And this may sound familiar because just 2 years ago, I offered a very similar teaching about the sacraments in general. Uh, but let's begin now with the question, what is a sacrament? Well, the definition given for sacrament in the old Baltimore Catechism is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace, an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. A sacrament is outward because it's perceptible by our senses. As we celebrate a sacrament, we can see, or taste, or touch, or smell, or hear it. We can perceive it. It is outward. And it is a sign, because like all signs, it points to something else. You know, take a curve ahead sign along the highway, for example. It tells us something that we can't see you know, the curve, it exists. Each of the sacraments points to something else that exists, but which we likewise can't see. And what does it point to? Well, each of the sacraments points to grace. It symbolizes and points to grace. And more than that, it brings that grace about. But wait, what is grace? Well, in short, grace is a free gift free gift from God to help us live a holy and happy life. As the definition pointed out, the sacraments were created to give us this help, this grace. The seven sacraments are conduits of God's grace. And each sacrament bestows a particular sacramental grace. Each one of them does a specific thing. Confession, for example, forgives sin. That's an awesome grace, the reception of forgiveness. Matrimony forges an unbreakable bond between husband and wife, and so on. Now consider the example of the sacrament of baptism. The outward sign of the sacrament of baptism, the matter, as we call it, uh, the part we can see, is water. And as we celebrate baptism... We pour water over someone, or we immerse them in water. And water is is fitting for baptism because it's a great sign for the washing of stuff. We use water to wash filth away. We take baths in water, and we do laundry in water. It washes filth away. And in baptism, water serves as a sign of the grace of God washing away a person's original sin and any actual sin they've committed as well, if they're old enough. But as a sacrament, it does more than just remind us that God forgives. It actually brings about the forgiveness. It truly gives grace. It doesn't just symbolize it. The sacraments do what they represent. They work. When the priest at the altar holding bread, for example, says, This is my body, speaking in the person of Jesus, it becomes Jesus' body. So, what are the sacraments? As Catholics, you should be able to name them off quickly, just right off the top of your head, because they should be a part of your life, a big part of your life. And if you can't name them off just immediately, well, you need to study up but here's the list. The first three I'll mention are called the sacraments of initiation. So if you've received these three, you are a fully initiated Catholic. If you're an adult and you're missing any of these, please talk to me and we can get that fixed. But here they are, the first three, the sacraments of initiation, baptism, right? Something that should happen in the first three weeks of a person's life, baptism. Confirmation and the Holy Eucharist. Baptism, Confirmation, and the Holy Eucharist. The next two sacraments are called the Sacraments of Healing, and they are Confession, which provides a spiritual healing of our sins and our guilt, and the Anointing of the Sick, which, yes, provides spiritual healing, but also possibly the healing of our body if it is um, for our eternal benefit. And then the last two are called sacraments at the service of communion. And they are holy matrimony and holy orders. So that's the list. Baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, confession, the anointing of the sick, holy holy matrimony, and holy orders. That's the list. But where did we get this list? Where do these sacraments come from? And why do we have them? Well... When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he healed people. He forgave their sins and so on. He was a busy guy. But after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven and he disappeared from sight. His apostles were standing on the ground looking up at the sky where Jesus disappeared as if to say and ask, well, now what? Jesus has left the earth. He's gone. Did all of Jesus' good work in the world end when he ascended to heaven? Was that it? Was no one ever forgiven or healed ever again? No, of course not. Why? Well, because before he left, he laid the groundwork for and established the Catholic Church. He delegated his authority and power to heal, to forgive, to teach, and so on to the apostles, who we would say were the first Catholic bishops. Those apostles, those first bishops, following Jesus' own plan, passed on that authority and power to their successors, bishops, all the way down to our bishops today, including our own bishop, Bishop Kagan, right there in Bismarck. And that power is further delegated to the helpers of the bishops, us priests. This happens in the celebration of the Sacrament of Holy Orders, by the way. So, yeah, this is what we mean when we say we are an apostolic church. Well, And one of the main ways that Jesus continues to work in the world via the church is through these seven sacraments celebrated by these ministers who have been given the authority by Jesus to celebrate them. And it is the job of the Catholic Church, given it by Jesus, to protect these great gifts and to pass them on unchanged in their essence through the generations so that everyone, till the end of time, can have access to God's grace. And that brings me to my next point. Can we change the sacraments? Well, since the sacraments came to us from Jesus, we didn't make them. And we can't change them, not in the essentials. We cannot say, decide that donuts after Mass are an eighth sacrament. It means that we cannot decide that we don't need the Sacrament of Reconciliation anymore, so now there's only six sacraments. It means I cannot decide to use Doritos instead of you know, those tasteless wafers of wheat uh, bread for mass. It means a couple cannot make up their own wedding vows. It means we can't redefine marriage. It means we can't change the words used in baptism, uh, which come to us from Jesus himself, and so on. If we do make changes to the essential aspects of a sacrament— well, it wouldn't be the sacrament anymore, and it would no longer work. It will no longer convey grace. It will not help us. So, if I did use Doritos at Mass instead of hosts, or if I said, Well, I ran out of hosts, just everybody bring, you know, Ritz crackers or water or grape juice or whatever you like, you would not receive the body of Christ or if two men did attempt the sacrament of matrimony you know, with each other, God would not pour out his grace upon their union. No permanent bond would be formed. Likewise, with a man and a previously married woman, or vice versa, or a man and two women, Jesus is very specific about what real sacramental marriage is. We receive the sacraments from God. They are his gifts. He works through them to help us. And we pass them on unchanged, in the essence at least, to the next generation. We can't mess with them. And I say all this because the church is always under pressure to get with the times. But we cannot change what God has established. And we shouldn't want to. Now, my next point. There is wisdom in Jesus' plan here. Through the church's sacraments, Jesus is at work all across the globe simultaneously. Now, if he still were walking on the earth in the way he did 2,000 years ago, well, maybe he'd be healing people in Jerusalem, but he wouldn't be here in Stanley. Yet, through the sacraments dispensed through his Catholic church and her ministers, he is here in Stanley. He is at work Everywhere and is present everywhere, especially in the most holy Eucharist. To recap and kind of conclude, wrap this up, the sacraments are signs that point to and bring about God's grace. They give us the help we need to live a holy life. As Catholics, we need to be familiar with all seven of them and we need to celebrate them at the appropriate times in our lives. As our bishop wrote in his pastoral letter, the seven sacraments are privileged encounters with Jesus throughout the entire course of our lives, from the time of our birth to the moment when we pass over to eternity and death. They are his way of keeping his promise, I am with you always. That is why, Newborn babies are welcomed into the church the, with the sacrament of baptism. As they get a little older, they are strengthened to live the faith by the sacrament of confirmation. When they discover their vocations, they are empowered to live it by the sacrament of matrimony and holy orders. And their constant companions through the, through the years are the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist, which should be celebrated frequently by Catholics. And finally, at the end of life, they are strengthened for the final agony with the anointing of the sick. From birth to death, the sacraments are with us. Jesus ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, but he's still at work in his church, especially and most powerfully through the seven sacraments that he gave us. It is my hope that we can all come to a deeper appreciation for them and celebrate them according to his plan. Amen.